Welcome to episode eight of the Think Tank podcast, brought to you by the Digital Innovation Group at Providence. Think Tank is a supercharged brainstorming session between two leaders from different verticals to help us solve some of healthcare's biggest challenges. This is Kelly Stonelake. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be discussing the concept of access and convenience, which has become much less a futuristic idea and much more a here and now reality over the past 15 months. Joining us today is Sara Vazy, Providence's Senior Vice President, Chief Digital Strategy and Growth Officer, and Oliver Meinzer, who is the Vice President of Global Operations, Digital and Mobile Guest Services for Marriott International. Marriott is an American multinational company that operates, franchises, and licenses lodging, including hotel and residential properties. Welcome, Sarah and Oliver, and thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you. Looking forward to the conversation. Me too. Yeah, we have had a couple of really interesting conversations on this podcast about distributed care and about distributed care and distributed care models, as well as a lot of discussion around digital acceleration. And a theme of these discussions, it's also been highlighted in the Digital Innovation Group's Where Does Health Happen report. It's this notion of nailing the balance between digital and physical. And this is more and more relevant. I mean, we've been talking about this since we started talking about this before uh, the pandemic started. And of course, it's become even more important um, in healthcare and in hospitality and so many other industries. So couldn't be more excited to be having this conversation today. And at the end of the day, this is about making digital more personal, but also as the Where Does Health Happen report puts it, it's about how health systems can harness the momentum of virtual care to build holistic blended experiences, right? It's not an all or nothing sort of deal. And to, to nail this, we're going to have to find the balance. So. Oliver, I couldn't be more excited to have you on the podcast with us today. I am a Bonvoy loyalist, and I was an early user of the Bonvoy app, including my first contactless check-in and contactless hotel key experience, uh, which was pre-pandemic. So thank you for Marriott's leadership and the investments you're making in digital disruption that have led to that access and convenience and things like, you know, robots delivering my Diet Coke to my room at midnight, just (laughs) a real joy. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Marriott and how you're approaching virtual hospitality and contactless guest experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks, Kelly, for for having me on. This should be a fun conversation. And we are definitely, me and my team are in the middle of this uh, work where we bridge digital and physical as well as the human interaction, right? Because that is what hospitality is all about. So think about my team as kind of the the operational product leaders of all the digital services we're offering for your hotel stay. We are partnering very, very closely with our digital product leads as well as our partners in brand, our partners in human resources and in other disciplines to really bring that strategy to life. And it's not just about building the right technology because you also have to make sure you can execute this technology. We have 7,000 plus hotels uh, with 30 brands all around the world. I think the latest number was 147 different countries. So there is a lot of nuances that that we have to account for uh, as we uh, activate experiences, as we account for what customer needs are in one country might be different than in others, what uh, our associates that work the front line, how they execute. So that's where our team comes in. Uh, We are part of the process as we design and develop features and functionality, but then we also take those and activate them in all of our hotels around the world. And, uh, you know, the the way we look at this, this is really about what, what, it's really about the, the business objectives we are uh, trying to accomplish. And in many instances, a lot of things have changed over the last 18 months, where it was primarily a, you know, a loyalty benefit component for those of you, and, and Kelly, you were one of them, as you just said, that have used the features. You know, it was a, a Marriott Bonvoy member through the Marriott Bonvoy app. Uh, obviously, the travel behavior has changed quite a bit over the last 18 months with much, much more of a focus on leisure, 
and, and uh, family travel and uh, less so much about the traditional frequent business travel. So obviously that forced us to change our thinking a little bit. So now this is really all about how are we creating an environment where uh, travelers feel safe, uh, where contactless becomes much more than a convenience or a, a, a service feature. It becomes now a, a purpose because our, our travelers want to feel safe. Uh, they might not want to interact in person because they're still concerned about their health. So that is one area that has changed that we're really focusing on. And it also helps us from a prioritization perspective. The other lens that, that we now have on contactless is this notion of how are we changing our operating model in our hotels? Because as you can imagine, with, with no occupancy for an extended period of time, our owners and operators are hurting. You know, we, we have, you probably read it in, in, in the media, as an industry, we have a hard time getting workers back. So how do we change the model? How do we use technology to deliver the experiences uh, that our customers expect in a little bit of a different way? Automate to elevate, as we call it in some areas, uh, that then you know frees up capacity uh, with our associates to really focus on some of the service interaction. And then the, the third component I would mention here is uh, we, we really got to protect the hotel state because we got competition for our customers for, for their preferences from not only our uh, hotel competitors, but everybody around us, you know, name Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon to some degree. But there's a lot of other players that, that are more and more interested in, in what's happening in our hotel state. So it's very important for us to also focus on that and create compelling products and experiences. Wow. Yeah. So I, I want to get back to, to get touch on this operating model piece in a little bit, because there are so many things you just said, Oliver, that are so analogous to some of the healthcare challenges we've discussed. And, and I'm sure Sarah has uh, perspective and experience on too. So excited to dig into that. But first, I mean, you mentioned safety and purpose as being uh, really important factors guiding your you know, current orientation toward uh, you know, contactless and, and the digital acceleration and, and blending these experiences. And so Sara, you know, you, you've been a leader in this space for some time and even before the pandemic narrowed our gaze on healthcare as an industry necessary for disruption, you were launching some pretty incredible things. You know, we had the uh, HIPAA compliant Alexa skill that can schedule or cancel appointments, uh, both at Providence and Swedish Express Care, care Clinics. Uh, and then more recently, the CDC compliant chatbot you built via Microsoft Tech for COVID response. So, you know, you've been a leader in virtual visits and multimodal digital care enablement. And I would love to hear a little bit about uh, when listening to Oliver talk about uh, the the transition from, you know, being a loyalty play and a convenience play to being more about safety and purpose, what rings true for you here? And uh, broadly, more broadly, can you tell us a little bit about how you're approaching virtual access and convenience and how uh, how this approach has changed given the digital acceleration and the, the shifts in patient and consumer needs that we're experiencing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, as I was listening to Oliver, the thing that um, there's so many remarkable analogs between healthcare and the hospitality industry in that fundamentally, you know, we are both providing offline services. We're providing experiences, whether they are hospitality experiences or healthcare experiences that are in some way physical in nature. You know, we're not purely digital companies. We're not digitally native companies, but we do tremendous amounts of digital enablement of offline experiences. And so, you know, it's very fundamental to the fabric of an organization that those offline experiences, um, like we maintain those. And at Providence, we have this kind of concept of the sacred encounter when a patient and a provider, for instance, are interacting around some sort of clinical encounter or issue. And um, that's like your hotel stay, right? Or your um, uh, vacation that you're on. You're not 
doing it in um, VR quite yet. <laughs> um, you're doing it physically, right? So that's the that's the um, that's the physical experience that we can wrap a lot of digital things around. And so, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, not just being about loyalty or about convenience, but really getting to fundamentally how a product or a service is delivered. What we're thinking about with respect to Providence is that we're, we're you know, in the past, we've been relatively rigid in the, how we viewed the sacred encounter and how we viewed how patients can access that sacred encounter. Uh, and it was, you book an appointment, you call it, first you actually have to call up a number that you find with some difficulty, and then you book an appointment, and then you get in your car, and you physically go there, and you wait in a waiting room, and hopefully you get your issue resolved, but it may be a relatively fraught and a challenging experience if, you know, it's at a bad time of day for you or it you have to travel across town or the appointment is three weeks out instead of today when you really need it. And so taking all of those you know challenges from a patient or consumer point of view and 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 we we really thought about okay what are what do folks need? In many cases they need care now and they need it in a location or modality that makes sense. And when I say that makes sense for them, and when I say modality, I mean, it could be physical or it could be virtual. And when you say virtual, there are many options there. So the degrees of freedom expand significantly, whether it's a video visit or a chat-based visit. Um, And that chat can be synchronous or it can be asynchronous. And that chat can also occur with a bot or it can occur with a human, um, a person on the other end. So we, we really started to think about these degrees of freedom that can completely transform that experience from discovery through delivery of care. And you named a couple of examples of the things that we've done, Kelly, but I can talk a little bit about what we did with respect to COVID because I think it, it mm-hmm. illustrates the point really well, which is, you know, the first challenge, like when when the pandemic started was people just needed information that was reliable. And so this is much more purely digital, but it really is digital information about a very real thing, right? They needed information that was reliable and it was easy to find and it was in a single place. They didn't have to go searching all around the internet and relying, you know, kind of being left to their own devices. So that was the first step that we took. We stood up a hub for information. That hub for information was also uh, pointed to endpoints for receiving sort of additional levels of service and care. The first thing that was this additional level of service and care was actually a chatbot. And that chatbot was um, uh, a screening and triage chatbot for coronavirus symptoms. And it's not a symptom checker per se, meaning clinically, um, like clinical in nature, but it was much more about, do we think that you have uh, symptoms that merits a uh, sort of triaging to an actual provider. So the bot was doing some of the work to do the initial triage. This kept a lot of folks actually out of our physical settings and just gave them the information they needed again to keep them in their homes, to reduce their exposure and to deliver it in a way that was convenient 24/7 they could go onto the website and actually do this as opposed to you know trying to call up a number or going into a physical location and and potentially exposing themselves to coronavirus yet again if there was an additional level of care needed it pointed folks to a video visit appointment with a provider and we were able to scale that video visit platform which we'd had in place prior to COVID up significantly. So there was a scale challenge there in terms of enabling this. And uh, and if folks needed even a, an additional level of care, it actually hooked people up with a home monitoring program that was also digitally enabled where patients could put their data into uh, and these are folks that were actually ultimately, you know, they they tested positive for COVID, but weren't sick enough to come into a physical, like to be admitted into the hospital. It hooked them up with 
a thermometer and a pulse ox and they could monitor their own data and input it at home and then uh, ensure that they weren't decompensating or anything like that. So if you were to take that COVID example and abstract it out to where there are multiple modalities and settings available, it's not just a virtual visit where a patient can seek care. You can, you can imagine a world in which if you get screened for something, you then have a personalized set of options, whether they're physical or virtual in nature, surfaced up to you. And this is when we call when we call it multimodal care. So it really is, if you want ver- video and if it's appropriate for the specific thing that you're seeking at the time, that gets surfaced. If you want physical, that gets surfaced. And it is very and by the way, the options that are surfaced to you have capacity to see you. You know, that's how we start to think about the entire delivery and the operating model around care, which is truly hybrid, truly multimodal, and data driven so that we know what folks need. Uh, So we understand the demand, we navigate them to the right venue of care or modality of care, and we match the supply and the demand within that context of uh, that experience. And so that's how we see the future. And it can apply Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, kind of COVID-like use cases that are more urgent. It can apply to primary care-like use cases that you can actually schedule out some time. Um, It can apply to specialty. And it's this, you know, true hybrid operating model. Um, And I'll give one other example and then I'll stop. It's one of my favorites because I think it just really, it applies to so many people and it really paints a very clear picture. The average expectant mom has about 14 visits during their pregnancy. And those often, you know, we ask folks to come in and get, and sometimes it's just very simple things like getting weighed and getting, you know, your uh, belly measured. Those types of things, that 14, those 14 visits don't necessarily all need to be delivered in person if you are a healthy mom um, or healthy expectant mom. Some of those should be in person because they require a physical examination. Some of them can be a video visit where you just you know, do a check-in with a provider and some of them can be completely automated and purely digital. And so we can actually envision a world in which we think about not just single encounters, but actual end-to-end experiences like a pregnancy completely differently in the context of this hybrid model as well. It's so fascinating. I think the the hybridization and what you described as as far as the freedom enablement and the additional levels of service and care, it really adds a, I think, a thoughtfulness and authenticity to weaving digital services and support into a typically very, uh, uh, you know, not (laughs) digitally forward um, care experience because of the fact that it feels personal, right? It's, you know, it's one thing to Google COVID symptoms and it's another to log on to the website of your healthcare provider and have a conversation. And the amount, the level of, I think, comfort and security that that brings by feeling that direct engagement that really meets your needs, uh, it, it, that's when you have the potential of, of really um, replacing some of the kind of in-person um, or, you know, uh, uh, d- different historical methods of uh, modalities of care that, uh, you know, come with some of the drawbacks that, that you mentioned, Sarah. Um, I'm curious, uh, Oliver, as you listen to this and think about this notion of additional levels of service and care, I'm curious what rings through for you in your business and and how y'all are thinking about prioritizing and experimenting and piloting kind of different approaches based on how needs have shifted. You know, you mentioned the change from the business customer primarily to now you've got families that have been in their homes for a year and a half, like ready to get out there, but maybe maybe feeling nervous about it or, or what have you. And I'm curious how Marriott's thinking about meeting those needs. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was very interesting to hear Sarah go through those details because there are a lot of parallels. They, they look a little bit different on, on our side, like uh, picking up the theme around hybrid appointments. Um, 
you know, the, our travelers come to the hotels because they, they either want to be there at the hotel or they, they have to be there. So there is, uh, if we take the, the meetings and events out of the equation, there, there's really not a, an alternative uh, to in-person. But the, the way we look at it is more than from an experience perspective. Right? The, you all have stayed at a hotel, you, you come to the front desk, somehow uh, the associate behind the desk, they, they just seem to be very busy in putting more stuff into the computer. So it's very transactional. So a lot of emphasis, and that, that started pre-COVID already, and, and COVID has obviously put a little bit more emphasis behind it. But similarly to your appointments in, in your facilities, uh, how much of these transactional items can we actually resolve differently? Do we really need to see your ID? Do, you, do we really need to, to, you to sign anything? Why do we actually have to stop by a, a reception desk or a front desk? A lot of the things that, that we're asking you, we can confirm differently. We can confirm that through the app. We can confirm that through our website way ahead of time where it's much more convenient for our customers than it is standing in line at the front desk. So um, what we have done over the last couple of is really map out what are these pain points, what are these transactional uh, items, and, uh, and really prioritize those where we can have uh, immediate fixes to. So mobile key, Kelly, that you mentioned, that, that is one area where we said, hey, for those that really don't have any special needs or special requests, uh, that really just want to get to their room, there's really no need for them to stop by. So we can make that really smooth. And then that frees up the capacity at the front desk to take care of those that, that really need some extra um, um, care. Uh, and that has worked out really, really well. And, and now we were trying to see, okay, we, we solved for what we refer, like the happy path. Let's make sure we, we continue to increase that, that group of customers that, that literally can skip the front desk transaction and, and we, can, we can make this a lot easier. Now there's obviously nuances. Uh, the, some of this is easier when you are in the, what we refer to the select brand part of our portfolio, which is your, your Fairfield Inn, your limited service hotels, versus if you go in the luxury space uh, with our Ritz-Carlton St. Regis hotels, there's obviously significant differences in how we solve for things. The foundational technology doesn't change, but how we activate this um, is obviously very different. So if you think about it at a Fairfield Inn, you know, you could expect at some point there's a fully self-service experience available versus at a Ritz-Carlton. We'll always have, uh, ladies and gentlemen, as we refer to our associates there, we will always have ladies and gentlemen uh, available because then it's really all about choice uh, and giving our, our customers options. But we also look at it through other areas of your stay. You know, food and beverage is another one um, that we have been very successful with, just providing contactless options where guests can order differently. They don't have to go and see somebody. They don't need to pick up the phone. Uh, and that over the past year and a half has been absolutely booming. And, you know, we're on track this year to quadruple the revenue we generate through our digital channels, uh, just from a food and beverage ordering perspective. But what it also, going back a little bit to the, to the idea of hybrid, but a little bit in a different way, if you think about how our hotels operate, there, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to prepare for arrivals. Right? We got to make sure we have the right room types uh, so we can match reservations with the rooms, you know, set up the accounts properly, uh, address any special requests, answer any questions that would come in via phone or via chat. Right now, for the most part, this is all done at the hotel level. But technology also allows us to say, well, do we need to have this capability at every single hotel? Or could we actually create some sort of market-based uh, activation around this? So if you have multiple hotels in a, in a location, could actually a, a, a team handle all of this for, for multiple hotels and change the model a little bit because you don't, you don't have to be at the hotel to be really, really knowledgeable about the hotel. And, and the way we have set up our communication channels, our customer relationship management tools and the info we have about our guests and our uh, hotels, it's very conducive to say you know, that that could be easily done 
Uh, we also have looked at hybrid work models where um, you, you might not be um, a, a, an associate at one hotel, but you might be what we refer to a market associate. So um, not all hotels have the same occupancy at the same days or the same patterns at the same days. So can we create a little bit different models where you not only pick your shifts, but then also hotels um, state what shifts they need. So you could work at Hotel A today and then tomorrow you work at Hotel B because the, the job functionality doesn't really change. You just need to be trained to, to know the nuances of each particular property. So I think some of the learnings and the, the market demands, the, the traveler demands, but also you know, the challenges we have on the workforce side uh, require us to be uh, a lot more creative, a lot more thoughtful around how we solve for this and make this attractive. The, the other area where we've been really, really active is, well, what are some other uh, opportunities outside of our core business, which is room nights? We are the world's largest spa operator. We are the world's largest golf operator. And we are the world's largest restaurant operator. So we have a lot more than guest rooms. So how do we, how do we redefine travel uh, and, and, and not just uh, assume travel is overnight stays, uh, but also offer other ways to engage and stay connected to our customers and offer them local uh, opportunities. And... Um, create a, a, an even wider funnel to, to get customers into our ecosystem. Part of that too is what are other business opportunities outside of our direct list of, of amenities that we offer. So partnerships like we have with Uber Eats and, and others uh, really have come to the forefront um, in, in, in really driving incremental value a, for our loyalty members, uh, but then also making this a, a benefit pitch, obviously, for, for non-members to join. Uh, one of the other areas where we, we have uh, had tremendous success is expanding our business. Homes and Villas, which is you know, our home sharing uh, brand now, has been incredibly successful. And integrating that into our ecosystem has just been phenomenal success. And, uh, you know, compete, maybe not necessarily competing with Airbnb. It's a little bit of a different program, but making this available somewhat as a new alternative for the way uh, our customers are traveling now, you know, more family travel, need more space, looking for more unique experiences, maybe in unique locations. Again, the, the notion of safety, you know, we want to be, uh, for lack of a better term, contained uh, amongst us. Uh, so that just has been phenomenal for us. And then uh, last but not least, we're also super excited about a new business venture that's uh, launching in, in, in the fall. And that's our Ritz-Carlton Yacht Collection, which will uh, depart for their first voyage, I think, uh, in, in Q4. So a lot of exciting things that, that help us with the changing uh, travel behavior uh, new business opportunities to really help us grow our company and, and use technology and in particular digital as kind of the, the key priority to pull that through. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a list of incredible areas of exploration investment. Um, I just learned so much and the, uh, the connection between some of the the challenges and opportunities you're navigating and so much of what Sara shared and we talked about um, on this podcast in the past are, are really surprising and cool. And um, I think one area that, that we've touched on a couple of times today that I would love to dig in more and, and see if, if you know, this pattern continues is, is really thinking about the operationalization of this. So, you know, clearly we're creating a lot of value for people, but what needs to happen from an operation standpoint for this hybrid digital physical model to be embraced and to be real and to scale? Uh, so, you know, one thing I was just thinking about, Sarah, is you've got this highly regulated industry. You've got really delicate relationships to manage between the organization and then the providers and the surgeons who have their own unique needs and perspective and may have different motivations to adapt or not. So 
I would love to hear a little bit more about that. And Oliver, you know, please chime in and, and let's talk about where these operational challenges are similar um, and, and different between your two worlds. Yeah, I, I suspect this is where probably some of the differences are going to arise um, and, and some perhaps some surprising similarities as well. It's just so fascinating um, listening to Oliver. I, you know, I think the one of my biggest takeaways from this conversation just in general is that, and to your point, Kelly, we're not just talking about like a veneer on a digital veneer on the same old way of doing things. We're talking about a different operating model, new lines of business, uh, fundamental redesign. And so, you know, with that in mind, like we can't just take the same, like in healthcare, for instance, we can learn from the Marriott kind of uh, way of doing things that we can't just take the same front desk experience, or in our case, like a waiting room even, right? And just replicate it online, right? We actually have to rethink like, why do we even have waiting rooms? Or what are the things that we can accomplish if outside of the, if we don't constrain ourselves to like this, this waiting room like model or the old way of registering and checking in patients and thinking about like, perhaps we don't do it at a front desk at all, we or we provide kiosks or we provide other mechanisms like you know on your own device or whatever the case may be. And so, so anyway, I just think that there's a lot of a lot of a lot of takeaways there. Uh, for you know, healthcare of course is highly regulated, as you noted, and so some of the way some of the things that we need to to do to operationalize all of these uh, types of things are in the regulatory space. For instance, within the context of healthcare, there is a tremendous amount of regulation around how telehealth uh, providers can deliver care and in what states and whether there is cross-state licensure and whether there is reciprocity across states and all sorts of like complex sort of regulatory things that if we truly want to rethink, for instance, how we match supply and demand, those things need to get worked through. Um, another big area is around provider compensation models and, and just how we fundamentally think about the financing of healthcare. It's very based around a, a fee-for-service, generally speaking, a fee-for-service payment model, like, of, you know, meaning fee-for-click, <laughs> for each click. Like, you, you see a patient, you get paid. Um, and different, you know, it's there's a lot of coding implications and things like that. Like, is that really the right way to do business um, and to care for people if we are trying to achieve a new model of care? Chances are probably not. The other, and then when it comes to provider compensation, we're often, you know, we're asking providers to work on a productivity-like model, which is in many ways tied to this fee-for-service model. And that creates different incentives for them. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done on that front within the context of healthcare to promote change. Another really interesting dynamic within healthcare, which I think actually this is where there may be some surprising similarities between what we what we do and and uh, the hospitality industry, is that many of our providers that work with our system are not employees of our system. They're independent providers and they operate their own practices and managing those dynamics as well as another challenge around like if you're asking folks to deliver care in new models well how you engage your um, your partners your affiliates within that context is very different than how you engage your own employees and so um, I think those are just like a kind of a uh, some of the key areas I'm, I'm sure I've missed quite a few but those are some of the things that you know we think about. You know, Marriott, we, we, we own very, 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 very little of our portfolio. The majority is franchise uh, or we manage for a third-party ownership group. In North America, for example, the, the majority of the portfolio is uh, under franchise agreements. So, Sarah, to your point, these, these are not our associates. So it, it, it's a fine line of what, what we can tell what to do and how to manage that. So it 
it becomes very interesting on, on, on how we manage to do that. Now there's ways obviously through brand standards and, and these kind of things, but uh, you, you, you also always wanna make sure it is, it is some sort of a uh, collaboration in the space. We, we also have regulatory items um, and you know, being represented in, in 147 plus countries uh, that, that also can get uh, very complicated to give you uh, a little bit of an example we're trying, going back to uh, what I mentioned earlier, uh, how do we remove some of the friction points just in the check-in process? In, in the majority of the countries outside of uh, US and Canada, you, you have to produce some sort of uh, ID at check-in, either your passport uh, or driver's license, and then you most likely have to uh, complete uh, some form of a registration card. In some countries, you have to do more. So how do we solve for that? How do we allow our guests to maybe do some of this before they even get to the hotel, you know, complete the registration card, maybe scan passport, uh, do through facial recognition, can they validate that they are whose passport they're claiming to use, and then um, uh, store this in a, obviously in a very secure way uh, with partners. So we talk, we're talking through this right now, and there's nuances within every country, and then within each country, there's nuances by by city or by state, so uh, it's a very very complicated space, but a lot of fun to figure out. Uh, but I think that that's probably uh, maybe not to the degree of regulation you have in the medical field, but still there's areas that that we need to be very cautious. Obviously, data privacy is a big item that that we're very very concerned about, and and that impacts the way we operate. But yeah, I, I feel that there's there's a lot of res, uh, a lot of similarities in terms of what it takes to 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 operationalize uh, this. To me, one of the critical things is uh, whatever we deploy, it has to be seamless on both sides, on the guest and customer side, but also on the associate side. Because if it's not on either one, uh, it's not going to be successful. Because either uh, the guests or customers are not using it, or the associates are not promoting it. And uh, I think they're both equally bad. And we, we've learned that the hard way too, uh, because at times, you know, you, you want to move too fast or maybe the technology that that is out there is not quite ready yet. And, and, it, and uh, then we struggle. And when we struggle, because with technology, as, as you all know, um, and, and I think Sarah, you, you called it out a little bit, it comes with investment and you know in our case it comes with investment on our uh, corporate side but in many cases too it comes with investment needs on the on the hotel owner side uh, you know uh, kelly mobile key that required our owners to invest in upgrading the door locks at every single one of their doors so there's uh, a there's a need to get alignment across all our ownership groups that yeah we, we're okay doing that, but then also obviously there's the pressure from the ownership groups around ROIs. Well, why why are not enough people using it? What are you doing about it? So that angle uh, plays a big piece in there as well. And then moving forward, uh, obviously last year uh, put put a big dent into some of the savings. Uh, for such investments uh, within our ownership group. So now the notion of how do we prioritize in the right way becomes even more prominent. Uh, so everything we want to do that requires owner investment, unless there's a really, really significant um, business case uh, behind it that is attractive, uh, not only to us as a company, but also to our owner and franchise partners, it is very hard to get any kind of alignment to, to make any sorts of investments from a capital perspective, but also from a human capacity perspective. In, in mm -hmm. the uh, so it's going to be interesting. And that's probably going to take us another two to three years for, for a lot of our ownership groups uh, slash investors to cover. Yes, yeah, I just oh, actually course, wanted sir. to build on something that um, Oliver just talked about with respect to it has to work for 
the users, the, you know, in our case, our patients and our consumers, but it also has to work for our clinicians and our providers. And th- that's such an important point. You know, we can't do one at the expense of the other. And going back to that COVID example, you know, one of the things that the system did where we launched telehealth across across our whole ambulatory network, meaning all of our clinics, our outpatient settings. And it was very fast. And um, I mean, it was a tremendous effort to get over 10,000 providers onboarded onto a telehealth platform and trained and using it. But it had a lot of challenges within it. You know, sometimes the tech didn't work. Sometimes they literally had to hold up laminated signs with information um, for the patients as they were looking at them on video on how do you turn on your audio. And it actually caused our providers to be less efficient, even though they weren't physically seeing people in their offices. And so and so that creates a lot of um, friction for them and it's not sustainable. And one of the things that we've seen is that we've gone from our peak of about, you know, 50 to 60% of our visits being done during, you know, the peak of COVID uh, by uh, virtual mechanisms. Um, we're now down to like 15 or so percent. And some of it is, as a result of our providers just having difficulty with the platforms and going back to what works for them more effectively. And so it's a really important point that, you know, we do talk a lot about being customer centered and we do a lot of things to be customer centered, but it sounds like in both our businesses, um, both in hospitality, as well as in healthcare, we really need to be extremely mindful of not doing it at the expense of those who are delivering that service. Yeah, let's talk about that just a little bit more for a second. So both between the providers and the hotel operators who are uh, not only the the folks who are on the front lines seeing the challenges, but then need to deliver on the strategies uh, built by your organizations, what steps are you both taking uh, to, to... insulate uh, the strategic decisions from being made within an echo chamber, right? Where, you know, some of the experience may not be fully considered or hard to predict. Like how how does, how are these learnings impacting the way you're building strategies moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, We we, we try to involve our frontline associates as much as we can, Uh, especially in, in my team, they're very, very, tightly connected within our continent teams, within our regional teams, hotel teams, because those nuances vary by continent, by country. Uh, so this, this notion of change management that comes with every single one of these technologies or features of what we're asking them to do is, is absolutely critical. One, one thing I learned very early on in my role is uh, if we can't articulate to uh, the impact of associates, what's in it for me, and, and, and why why it makes sense for them to do something differently, it's just not going to happen. So that has always been a, a big, big, big uh, focus for us from the get-go. Uh, and we actually have dedicated team members that sit in some of these design meetings, and, and really with that lens, how are we how are we executing this in our hotels? How difficult will it be? Or how much simpler will it make the lives? Uh, because that really is a, it's, it's, a, it's a deal breaker, right? If we're saying, hey, we have this great technology, it's gonna, it's gonna uh, make a check-in so much easier for the guests, but it adds four steps for the associates uh, on their side, uh, it's not gonna happen. Um, so we have, we have really, really good alignment across the organization that, uh, to the earlier point that Sarah also made is, if, if it doesn't work and if it's not seamless on both sides, we, we're not gonna pursue it because it, it's not gonna, it's gonna be a waste of money at the end. I agree with Oliver and just would add, we do a similar work, which is engaging clinicians and other practitioners and you know operators across the organization in um, design product development uh, rollout conversations um, you know sort of at every step they're a very key stakeholder and so we work really hard to incorporate 
their voice into the requirement development as well as our patient voice. So doing we do a lot mm-hmm. of customer research at multiple levels through market research, through actual, you know, focus groups, through, uh, you know, doing testing with, um, with our, uh, our users to inform design. So it's an absolutely essential component. And the one other thing I will say is that we're increasingly working on uh, kind of adopting not like this uh, waterfall mentality where we think that the product has to be is going to be perfect or you know do a big bang and then never change it kind of a thing. Uh, we don't do that, right? We build MVPs and then we iterate on them as we learn from users on both ends of the value chain. And so it's really important for us that we put things out into for users to begin, interacting with. And then we gather data. We've instrumented many of our platforms so we can gather the appropriate data and then make the needed modifications and build the features and do the development on top of that, that reflects what they, what they want and need. Very, you know, not necessarily something that's done all that often in healthcare per se, but something that we're from a technology and a digital innovation group standpoint um, and team working really hard on doing. Yeah, similar similar process for us, you know, with anything new, we we do what we call a proof of concept. And, and, you know, that is probably the only exception to my earlier statement where where it could be a little clunky because we might build a rapid prototype to just get some some initial feedback. Well, can we operationalize this? Uh, Do customers even want to do this? Uh, and you know that those are just things you can't do in a lab. You really got to get this in 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 guest hands. Got to get it in the associate hands. And then yeah, we learn and then we decide: Do we want to continue that path uh, before we spend too much time and effort? And and uh, over the last probably six seven years, we we've gotten a lot more open to take a little bit more risks in in testing new things, so we can either fail fast or learn fast versus, to Sarah's point, in some of the previous decades where we said, well, here's an idea, we're going to build it uh, until we think it's perfect and then we deploy it. And, 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 you know, that, that, that definitely wouldn't work these days anymore. Things are moving way too fast. And, you know, that, that also helps us to, to address because there are immediate needs uh, that need to be addressed and, and we can spend the year and a half developing a solution. We need to be able to, to be rather agile and, and get some of those issues resolved. Um, you know, the shift from a, a leisure business mix to a 100% leisure, that, that is a big hurdle for a lot of our hotels that were built to be business hotels because they weren't business markets. And now with the changing behavior, they have, instead of one business traveler in the room, they have a family of five in the room and they're looking for things to do and they want to be at the pool. So there's an immediate need to address some of these things, uh, which we can with, with quick POCs, uh, and then and, and if it works, give hotels a little bit of reprieve. But then from, from a longer term strategy, obviously these, these become then a lot more robust with the right research behind uh, A-B testing, uh, uh, you know, going into production runs with beta testing and then get a group of early adopters working through how we would activate that. Fascinating. Yeah, so I mean, as far as this this latest topic and and how we kind of test and learn and iterate and keep up with needs as they change you know we, we just have a couple minutes left but i would love to hear you know as far as as this goes like where do you think healthcare and hospitality can come together and learn from some of these analogous opportunities and, and build in tandem i mean i'm i'm just so surprised as an outcome of this conversation really how many how many similar how how much overlap there is between the way you're both approaching providing to your customer, uh, as well as you know some of the challenges that you face uh, in your operating models. So I'm curious, where do you think your industries could come together? Uh, is there an opportunity for that? I, I I definitely think there's opportunities. I think you know we. we to some degree, we're looking at some of the same technologies, uh, right? How do we facilitate uh, uh, interaction, transactions, to some degree, experiences uh, through technology 
that no longer require in-person. So maybe a little bit of a different purpose, but foundationally, I feel that there's a lot of similarities. So learning from each other, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, I think another area, uh, just from the most recent part of our conversation, this notion of, well, how do we get our partners and frontline uh, team members, associates to uh, to be successful and and how do we manage change management how do we how do we measure success from that perspective i think there's 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 a lot uh, we can probably learn from each other yeah and oliver just said something which is where my head was going what one of the things that hospitality and travel got right pretty early was that getting folks online for that transactional experience sort of universally and making it consistent and uniform and ensuring that customers can book online, can pay for things online, can start doing a lot of the, you know, registered online, can kind of get do a lot of those transactional pieces that really like if software can do it, it should do it. Like they're starting, they started that early. And we're on, we're still in healthcare earlier in our journey with respect to that, um, partly due to the complexity of the business and the needs of our patients and our providers. There are some unique challenges there, but, uh, but I think that is one area where we can learn a tremendous amount around sort of this, this notion of being universally transactable. And uh, another area where I think we could learn a lot is how to engage affiliates. And so, um, you know, it's actually very similar, like how healthcare can engage with independent provider practices, especially if we're asking them to make investments um, that cost them something and and how you make that case to them, um, I think is there, there's a lot we can, we can learn around that as well. And I agree with everything else Oliver said too. Awesome. I mean, I, I want to thank both of you for the work you're leading. Uh, you know, healthcare and travel uh, and wellness are such important ingredients to kind of our overall um, health and well-being. And and so, thank you for these investments that, that you're making that I think enable people to, uh, you know, continue having access to really meaningful services as the world changes around them. So uh, mad respect and props on that and a, a lot of gratitude. And, and of course, you know, thank you both for joining us and for joining this discussion today. Yeah, this was great. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Kelly. This was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thank you, Oliver. And thank you, Kelly. You've been listening to the Think Tank podcast brought to you by the Digital Innovation Group at Providence. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or follow at Prov Innovation on Twitter for more discussion about how digital can inspire solutions to some of our biggest challenges. I'm your host, Kelly Stonelake. Until next time, take care. <laughs>